0: This is Action Sports Jax on ESPN 690
1: and ESPN 690.com. The last dance is over. What's next? See you, Michael Jordan, for the next 15 years. Man. <laughs> we hear from again. Yeah. Uh, the. Rave reviews for the last dance. Live sports is back, and it really has been for a week or so. With UFC finishes up in Jacksonville. Three-fight card. We'll get your thoughts on that. But also NASCAR and golf, and they come back. Again, the crowds, nobody there, no fans. A little different when you win a NASCAR race, you get out of the car, and nobody cheers for you. Sure. Nobody booed either, though. Yep. So uh, that was probably the the, the one strange part other than that uh, NASCAR felt. Uh, Pretty similar. We'll talk a little Gardner Minshew today. Brought up a topic on TV last night about uh, his ability to escape and get out of the pocket. Maybe a little bit too much. I think Doug Marone made a comment about the pocket uh, the other day when he talked to the media as well. But uh, some Gardner Minshew talk. We haven't talked a lot of Jags, it seems like, in the last few days. So uh, revisit where the Jags are at. The facility will be allowed to open tomorrow, but no coaches or players I'm not sure what that exactly means. Does it feel like it's getting back to normal uh, if coaches and players are not uh, involved in? And it looks like the players are running out of things to do, so they find themselves getting in trouble a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, a little run on uh, some trouble. Yeah. Some headlines. That's going to be a little bit of a concern for Roger Goodell, mm-hmm. I would think. Brent Martin, Austin Lane, Kuz on a Monday. Hope everybody's doing well. Yeah, stay out of the headlines, right? Isn't that the... Uh, the lines from the coaches stay out of the headlines. Yeah, nothing good ha- happens past midnight, Brent. You
0: know, as <laughs> uh, on Del real, uh, nothing good. Yeah, nothing good at all happens on a pandemic, really. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, you have the Ed Oliver situation. We talked a little bit about, you know, the the two guys um, getting arrested for essentially, I guess, holding up a a party. Now we'll see how that goes down. Yeah, there's a lot to do, to yeah, be determined on that one. I exactly, think. but there's been a few instances now, and it's um. You know, a guy like Ed Oliver. I mean, Ed Oller stands out to me because you know he's a guy we talked about on the show a lot. He seems yeah. like a pretty down earth type of dude and everything. Yeah, I know his
1: coach real well from uh, the college oh, exactly. days. And yeah, yeah. I was a little surprised to see that a headline. Little,
0: it's a little surprising. So obviously, the, the, the last couple of days in terms of optics, not good for the NFL.
1: No, uh, and on top of that, the NFL. You know, right about toward the end of the show on Friday, yeah, uh, the NFL, the word started to come down that the Rooney rule could get tweaked in the NFL, and it could have an impact on draft picks and, and where you slide or compensatory picks. I'm talk a little bit more about that today. Minorities in coaching in the NFL, and uh, where is it in terms of a major problem in sports. It's been a, an issue in sports now for a long time. It's part of the reason the Rooney Rule was created. Is it doing its job? What else can they do? And is this the way to go about doing it? Because I think it's a very lukewarm response so far, at least at face value, that this will be the way to go about it and and get it done and help. Uh, with m- more minorities uh, in the NFL and the coaching positions, the GM positions, the front office positions. And what was very interesting, it, it was one of the tells of the draft in a virtual way. Mm-hmm. That's what came out of it. This this conversation was has always been a conversation, but it was sparked by the NFL draft and all the virtual uh, calls and seeing all the front line folks, the front office folks in the NFL, yeah. and 90% of them being white. Yeah. So uh, white, that white, with the conversation. An, white with horrible interior decorating
0: skills, <laughs> to say the least. But no, I mean that's a good point. And I guess it's sad that. That didn't really stand out to me, I guess, watching the draft. You know I mean? It didn't maybe, to me either. I yeah. don't think in those terms. Maybe I'm so, so desensitized to it. You know, but I mean, I'll be honest. I, I'm not once did I go, wow, there's not a lot of black guys in terms of, you know, GM roles and head coaching roles. And it was funny because, like you said, we talked about it a little bit on Friday. And, like, I had to check with Kuz to make sure, like, what I was about to say wasn't going to offend somebody because I was, like, taken aback by. The announcement. I was like, this camp real, This is the most idiotic thing I've ever heard. But like, I didn't want that to come across because I was thinking, like, well, am I in the wrong? Like, are people actually excited to get more black coaches? But then the more Kuz and I talked about it, the more we kind of came down to this synopsis that, yeah, it, it is a dumb rule. Um, I think it's embarrassing to the NFL the fact that you have to have incentives now to hire you know black coaches,
1: um, black front office guys, like. It should have got to this point. No, it shouldn't have got to this point. But I, and I'll also – it's probably a dangerous question for me to ask mm-hmm. or at least look at the other side. So I want to look at it in totality. And a lot of it, I, I tried to research a little bit more over the weekend on it. And there's not a great example, or, or at least that I could find, of kind of – everybody talks of percentages of black coaches, like head coaches mm-hmm. or maybe GMs, right? Miami Dolphins have GM, uh, black coach obviously with Flores, Tomlin, uh, Rivera is a minority coach, sure. and who I'm missing, Anthony Lynn. Mm-hmm. So four minority coaches. It's not just black; it's minorities mm-hmm. in uh, the NFL. Four out of thirty-two. So I've saw one, you know, one for every eight. That's not a great percentage, mm-hmm. uh, but I also I think it's worth the question: Have we, are we looking into it too much, mm-hmm. in a sense? Like, are we trying to go the other way on it, therefore disrespecting the minority? coaches and candidates and everything else. So we'll take a look at it um, from that point of view, because the the reason I ask it that way is at the end of the day, winning is the most important thing in the NFL, right? right? You just said it though. Yes, it is the most important
0: thing. It will always be the most important thing, but I guarantee Brent, I'll say it and you ask any guy in that locker room who has played on multiple teams and they'll say it as well. In terms of coaches getting hired in the NFL, the best guys, it's not always the it's best not, guys. It's, it's all about point. who you know. Yeah. Okay? And that's so, why we're going to get into exactly. it. Exactly. But I'm just saying from right now, it's so ironic, though, that we preach winning, winning, the winning culture. It's all about the wins and loss at the end of the day. But coaches... They bring their own guys in. It's the guys that they feel comfortable with. Maybe it's the guys that they shared, you know, a, a college job with, or whoever
1: it is. But the best coaches don't always get hired, and we'll get into that later. Yeah, it's a it's a good call, and that's part of it. That's part of the conversation. That's what's ironic to me. Okay, I don't look at it from a black-white uh, minority issue. I don't like that's mm-hmm. not my lens. I'm not saying the NFL shouldn't take a look at that, and and every business shouldn't take a look at it. But I look at it from who, who's the best person. Man or woman, black or white, minority, doesn't matter, for the job to win. And it's interesting you say that because I think that is the feeling. It's not necessarily that feeling. Uh, uh, the word cronyism comes to mind mm-hmm. if you read some articles about it. And uh, that's just baffling to me in this winner-take-all kind of business, right, in professional sports, Uh and and that the owners could be blinded to that. Uh, So we'll talk a little bit about it. There's a lot of ways to get into it. Uh, The L.A. Chargers say their quarterback situation is all set. We don't need Cam Newton. We, We like our room. What an indictment on Cam Newton. What is going on with the Cam Newton stuff that Anthony Lynn would say, hey, we think Tyrod Taylor and our, uh, I understand they invested in Justin Herbert. Exactly. That's but that's the fact right there. That, that you is said the fact. yourself. Yeah, it, it is the fact. But they're also man, they are very interesting here because they are in a position where they've got a damn good football team. Mm-hmm. They, they're not in, like, the Miami Dolphins situation or even the Jags situation where you say, hey, we're investing in a young guy. We're going to give this time. We're going to build around him. No, they're already built. Like, they have one of the best defenses on paper in the league. They have some weapons. And, the, you know, their biggest problem on offense has been their offensive line. Well, they got healthier uh, with what's-his-name, former Gator. Uh, brother plays Pouncey. Oh, Pouncy, um, Yeah. It, now, who knows with a pretty serious neck injury, but he got cleared to play so they could get him back. And then they added in free agency on the offensive line with a couple of tackles. Well, so, yeah, because they got the Ron uh, Valaga from Green Bay. And,
0: who's, I mean, but to be fair, he's had some injury history himself. I mean, there's there's a couple of question
1: marks still on the offensive line, but on paper, it has improved. They, they tried to get better. There, let's just say that. Yeah. And then on top, they've got Eckler still. You know who – Their offense might have run better without Gordon last year. Mm -hmm. And then they've got some weapons in the pass game with Allen and and Williams. And I think Allen's contract is coming up. Now, will they keep him and have a big deal? We'll see. And also forget they got one of the best tight ends. And they franchised Hunter Henry. Henry. So it's funny how their roster says, hey, we're all in, yet we're okay with Tyrod Taylor Mm -hmm. and a rookie quarterback. That's my point. What does that say about Cam Newton? Like, To be honest with you, that is one team. That if they wanted to, they could bring in Cam Newton, and they could say Justin Herbert. We are sitting your butt down, and people would probably be okay with it because sure. you brought Cam Newton in instead. You know, and again, by the way, it's not like people, are Charger fans, are screaming anyway. They're all stuck in San Diego anyhow. They're not in L. A. So they're not really pounding down the L. A. Door. Yeah. You know, I mean, that is one franchise that could say, we're going to do what the Kansas City Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. We're going to give in this year because we think that's the best thing to do. And we're not going to get a lot of blowback on that. Instead, we're going to bring in a guy like Cam Newton to at least compete with Tyrod Taylor and really beef up that position. It's an interesting comment from Anthony Lynn, and I think an indictment on where Cam Newton is viewed right now in the NFL. And I'm not sure it's just from a health standpoint, although that probably takes the cake. And I always make the
0: point as well, I mean, you want to talk about a dynamic offense? The Chargers have that dynamic offense, alright? Austin Eckler, you can do a lot of things with him. Hunter Henry, not just a tight end. They put him out in motion, they put him out split, they can do a lot of things on that offense. So to bring in Cam Newton, even for that, you know, 5-10 to 10 play guy a game, you know, kind of like that a la um, Taysom Hill with the guy going on yeah, in, in New Orleans. Absolutely. I mean, I could definitely see that. Just another wrinkle they have the game plan for. But yeah, they're not giving Cam Newton a chance right now, and I'll be honest, I'm a little baffled at it. Obviously, I didn't think he was going to come to Jacksonville because, to me, the writing was on the wall where it's going to be Minshew or bust this year. I think with the Chargers, you can make an argument where why not ease Herbert into it, right? I mean, you you definitely have the offense. You have the defense right now. You have to win right now. Why not bring in a vet and at least kind of – and I get it, you know, the the Cam Newton style and the Herbert style, they're not the same, right? But I'm making an argument to say, you know what, Tyrod Taylor and Herbert – are they really the same guy as well? I mean, they're both pretty mobile quarterbacks, but I think that there's some differences there between playing style. So I see no reason why you wouldn't bring in Cam Newton. Now, other teams like the New England Patriots, I mean, that, that would make sense to me. And then I, I've been campaigning for it now, I feel like for a month, where the Buffalo Bills, to me, the, the, the Buffalo Bills are the ultimate team yeah. to get Cam Newton. I, I honestly don't know why if I'm you're not a sure Bills The Bills are, are far behind him, though. True. No, I hear you. But I don't know if you're part of the Bills mafia. And how confident you are in Josh Allen, I get it, he's a decent quarterback, he's showing some promise, but how confident are you with him going forward, especially this season? Because guess what? You have the pieces on offense now, you have the tight end, you have the wide receivers, you have the offensive line, and you got a pretty great defense as well. So right now the Buffalo Bills, that division is up for their taking, Okay, and Tom Brady's out of town, have fun with that. I don't get why they would bring Cam Newton.
1: Yeah, so. I, it doesn't. Uh, those are a couple of teams that make sense. Even mm. the Patriots. I could buy the Patriots kind of doing what the Jags are doing, although the Patriots seem like they're always in win-now mode, although I'm not sure I believe that. Yeah, And they are better equipped on defense, I think, outside of that. I'm not sure if they're that much better equipped than the Jags, quite honestly. Mm. That's why I made that bet with you. Uh, but of course. I, I can tell – I could say, hey, maybe they believe – listen – I'm sensitive to the fact that they might believe in Stidham a little bit, even though we really haven't seen anything. At least Minshew showed us some stuff last year that we could grab onto, mm-hmm. but people around the country feel the same way about Minshew as we do about Stidham. Like, well that's not the answer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Correct. So but I can see what they're they're doing a little bit what the Jags are doing. I mean they're gonna roll the dice and see if they've got a guy, give him a chance, see if they've developed him at all, uh, rather than maybe bring in Newton and, and see where they're at. And maybe you know, Newton might sit until you know, Labor Day time, once camp happens, and Patriots might take a look at Stidham at and camp and be like, oh my gosh, we can't do this. Come on, Cam. We'll give you yeah. a buzz. You know, I don't know. We'll see how it shakes out. Well, And are you kind of surprised,
0: too, because what's been the story for the Jaguars this offseason? Are they going to bring in Cam Newton? Are they going to bring in Jameis? Somebody to compete with Minshew. Is Minshew really the guy going forward? Where was all that energy for the New England Patriots? All right? I mean, do you mean There's to tell me that? a bit. A little, uh, but I mean, not as much. I didn't
1: hear as much as Minshew. Oh, because Belichick's a freaking genius, so Belichick can, can win with his dog, okay. Nike,
0: at QB. Okay, possibly. But I'm just saying, with Jared Stidham, Brian Hoyer... Uh, Brent, who's this guy right here? Because I, I can't pronounce that guy's name. Brian L- 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 Larky? <laughs> Do you know who that guy is? Yeah, yeah Larky. Okay, Larky? Drafted. Okay, well, <laughs> g- good luck to you too, sir. But my point is... <laughs> Where where was that energy? Because I didn't hear it. Even from the national media, I didn't hear, well, maybe they should go after Cam Newton or Jameis Winston. No, it was, well, is Gardner Minshew going to be the guy in Jacksonville? We'll see. And then when we didn't bring anybody for Gardner Minshew, then the writing was finally on the wall. Is the writing on the wall now for Jared Stidham? Because I'll be honest with you. I'm a lot more confident
1: in Gardner Minshew than I am, right now than I am in Jared Stidham. Yeah. Just me, though. Well, I would think, uh, I don't know how you couldn't be. I-, I think Bill Belichick's more confident in Gardner Minshew than he is in Jared Stidham. <laughs> I mean, yeah. h- how could you argue otherwise? We haven't mm-hmm. seen Stidham do anything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's interesting. I just think it all says a lot about Cam Newton right now, and it's a little surprising to me. I thought the, the injury stuff would catch up with Cam Newton. I thought it would be tough for him and might have to battle through some things, including a position. But how about signing on with a team? Mm-hmm. And the Chargers, to me, said a whole lot by saying they don't interest it that says a lot because you mentioned the bills i think the chargers are right up there if you want to throw in the patriots or even if people want to throw in the jags again i can see what the patriots and jags are doing a little bit in that sense but i don't really get the chargers and the bills uh from a but it's also early in the game for them they don't have to rush to that so that's something to keep in mind although lynn basically said we're not really interested um it's fascinating with cam newton I mean, if you're Cam Newton, do you just kind of slow play? Because I mean, that's been kind of you uh,
0: the you know that's the voice out of his camp right now saying they're trying to slow play it until the season starts, till an injury happens. If you're Cam Newton, do you do that then? I mean, Absolutely. is that an ideal situation? I think so now because yeah. then you
1: go find your spot and you get into a spot where you can be successful, uh, and and one you like, and then you get your pick. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't want to go wherever name your team you know if you don't want to go to buffalo you don't have to go to buffalo mm-hmm. uh you know and the thing about buffalo is like i wouldn't sign with buffalo right now if i'm cam either because i know i'm the backup they're not saying come in here and to try to Josh win the challenge though to i understand Josh Allen. i understand but you yeah. know they're committed to him so I got yeah. no chance. If I go, to, if I say I could have tested the waters in in New England, Jacksonville, or even the Chargers, mm-hmm. I have a chance to win that job over Tyrod Taylor or or Herbert or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a little bit different situation with Buffalo. Although I don't think they're out of the equation, they still yeah. make sense to me. But that makes sense from Buffalo's side. Mm-hmm. Not sure it makes a ton of sense from Cam's side here in May. It might a little bit more in August or September. Uh, all right, we'll talk a little bit more about Cam Newton. What has? What's his future? <laughs> I mean, is he? Uh, James Winston feels like he's got a, a one year thing in New Orleans, and then maybe his career takes back off. Not sure. I feel the same way about Cam Newton. Almost feels like it's on the downside. He's still a very young guy in the NFL. Still probably has some good football ahead of him. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But coming up next, I got a lot of questions after the last dance is over. We'll get to a few of them when we come back. It was really well done. Will we see anything else like it? Who's next? Of course, that's the big story of the day. I think we already hit on that last week, but we'll share an idea or two when it comes to that. How will you top the Jordan documentary? That's what it was, right? Good luck. (laughs) Uh, I mean, hey, Steve Kerr got some shine in there, too. Where was Luke Longley, though? Ah, you were missing. Something happened with Luke Longley and Jordan. Is Luke Longley still alive? They mentioned him a couple times. They mentioned him a couple 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 times. Kerr not get a word. Her part was very good. Oh, yeah. Was I was great. surprised it took all the way until then to, to like episode nine to get Kerr. Yeah. You know, because they really introduced you to a lot of the characters earlier. Well, he yeah. didn't join the team till later. I well, get it.
0: But it was so all over the place, so like they yeah. go back in time, then they're the president, then it's back in time again. I like the way they tied that in more than other people did. Yeah. We'll talk a
1: little last dance when we come back on ESPN six <laughs> nine. We're having a debate. The Florida State Seminoles yeah. won the national championship. Of 2013, of the season, but they won the actual game in 2014. Okay. So it's really one January of the most confusing 6th. things. A week into the 14 calendar year. They won the championship. So, Coos. So, here's what's going on. Uh, I don't know if you caught last week. Hopefully, you did. But uh, the Clemson Florida State game from the 2013 season was on ESPN 690. This Friday, we're going to play the national championship game. So, Coos trying right, to put yeah. a title on. <laughs> yeah. And so they're the 2013 national champs, but it's yes, played in 2014. But 2013. Yes, yeah. but it's still very confusing because Coos is like looking it up. It's like, well, it says 2014. So it's two- no, <laughs> you no. can, you hey can Kuz, really run yourself. Look, no, but seriously, Google 2013
0: MSU no, right. national champion, and it hey. will show
1: 2014. I'm put, on your side put here. Put the Florida State Seminoles football team in Wikipedia and see when they won the national championship. I, and we're I, good to go. I get it. And so Kuz then is like, well, let's just put 2013, 2014. I said, no, because then people will say they won two championships in a row. Yeah, and you want to do uh, that. And then Alabama <laughs> fans are going to get upset. Yeah. It is one of the hardest things to do, though. Like I, we were talking about it. In, in college basketball, it's a little less annoying because it bridges the two years, right? November, December, and then all yeah. the way through March. Yeah. And really into early April uh, by crowning the champion. So a lot of times it will be like the 2019-20 season, you know, something like that. But in my mind, it's not as confusing because really the college basketball season, in my opinion, starts up when conference play begins, and that usually starts in January. So you get the whole calendar year. You get a lot of games. Mm-hmm. The problem with college football is you'll win, like, these bowl games in the first or second week of January. And so it is kind of tough to, when you document it, it's like, okay, should I call this the 2014 Tax layer Gator Bowl or the 2000. It, yeah, It, it kind of can be confusing things, these little things.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just one of the hazards of our, of our job, Brent. It know? really I mean, is. We, It's we, hazardous. We put it on the line every single day. <laughs> you know, we, we put it on the line, and I'm sure people listening right now are I mean, really sympathizing yeah. with us, the fact that, well, we do we go
1: from the previous year or the current year? Not to the degree of Blake Snell, but uh, we really do put it on the line. <laughs> we do put it on the line, man, every single day. <laughs> uh, man, uh, so these are kind of the uh, topics and of discussions we have. <laughs> folks uh we were going to talk a little last dance but steven's on the line wants to talk a little uh nfl and you were bringing up something uh with with what doug marone said on friday so let's get into it steven what's happening man hope you had a good weekend welcome in the uh, action sports I, I did uh how about you guys oh yeah good fantastic weekend, man. man all right i got a two-parter one is a stat for Gardner mentioned that you can throw at the whole national that don't believe in them they did a top five quarterback who got 20-plus-yard passes, Gardner Minshew, number three. I like that. With a 94.7% on 20-plus-yard passes. The only people to top him, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. That's right. And I think he's in the top five was Brady was in there and somebody else, I believe. That was a big name. Yeah, but the main thing is, uh, and I don't know, it could just be a rumor, but... They said Doug Marone said they're going to start the new guy Barch from tackled right guard and move AJ Cann in place of Cam Robinson. So, what do you guys think about that one? All right, Stephen. Appreciate the call, man. Thank you. And uh, now. It, he, Doug Marone talked on Friday about this, mm-hmm. and he did not say replacing Cam Robinson. Cam Robinson's still the guy it's at left be tackle.
0: Will Richardson, though. Will not Richardson.
1: AJ yeah, Will yeah. Richardson will move as, to left tackle primarily as a depth play. Now, he can battle Cam Robinson. It beats him out. It beats him out. Mm-hmm. Remember, he was with the AJ Can battle last year at guard Garden platoon system. So the news there was that Will Richardson was moving outside to the tackle spot, and. Ben Barch was going from a position that he played in college. Now, keep in mind, he came in as a tight end, then went to left tackle, but going to compete at the guard spot. And when I say compete, I think he's totally a depth play. I think AJ can has that spot. Locked up for 2020. That's the projection. I kind of think Cam Robinson is projected to be the guy at left tackle. We'll see if Will Richardson, former fourth-round pick, and has played well at times for the Jags can give him a run for his money out there. So just to clarify that, it wasn't Cam going out there. It's Will Richardson. And I think these are two depth play moves, at least for now. That's Will Richardson, who would then become probably the swing tackle, and you give Barch the transition to the NFL at the guard spot. You're a little... You say, well, uh, why, right? Uh, well, yeah, why Barch?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, Ben Barch, who comes in playing tight end, okay, at St. John's, Minnesota, gains weight, moves to tackle, has played tackle his entire college career, played tackle at the Senior Bowl, did pretty well, obviously. There's a reason why I went in the fourth round because his Senior Bowl showing where he shut down a lot of guys. So, did well at the Senior Bowl playing tackle. And now he comes to Jacksonville, and it's like, yeah, let's go and put you at guard when he's never played guard before. So I bring the question as to why. And I, I mean, honestly, I, I'm mean, i asking you, bro, I'm asking anybody, why why, why is Ben Barch who was taken in the fourth round, and let's be honest, a fourth-round pick, usually you bring a fourth-round pick in, you groom him a little bit, but I think the plan would be to start him eventually, okay? So why do you bring a guy who's always played tackle in the fourth round, move him to guard right away, and don't even give him a chance at tackle. Don't tell me because he went to a small school. Because I'm going to say, well, check out Ryan Ramcheck. Ryan Ramcheck played at University of Stevens Point, Wisconsin. A smaller school probably than even St. John's is. Goes to, uh, he takes a gear off, goes to play at Wisconsin for one year, becomes an, an all pro kind of guy. All right. He, he was, uh, I think, All America, goes first round of the Saints, and guess what? Now he's a first team all pro. Okay. So the transition from the small school to going to Wisconsin for one year and then going to the NFL didn't bother Ramcheck at all. So why are we, I guess, trying to coax, coddle or worry about Ben Barts coming in and put him at guard right away.
1: Well, I, I guess your point is a fair one. What I would say is not necessarily the small school as much as I would say maybe the raw nature of how he is at that position, given the fact that he hasn't played it all his life, that transition. And now he's going to transition. And I think it's hard not to mention the fact that he was playing down in that competition and now transitioning, transitioning to the highest level in the world to play it. Now he held his own at the senior bowl. He did okay at the senior bowl. What I would ask you is this. Uh, it's two parts for me. Would you say guard is easier to play than tackle in terms of uh, what you got to do, what your your assignments? I, I, is, yeah, is it easier? Um, listen,
0: I'm not going to say it's easier. It's just different. Like playing a guard, I, I, everything happens a lot faster. You know, like when you play tackle, when you go in your pass set, it's one, two, three contact. Guard, it's like. Boom, right, right away. away. Yeah. yeah. Contact right so away. so it's just it's different to me. Okay. I'm so, not saying one's easier than the other. Yeah. I mean I would honestly say probably guards a little easier because you get the help of the center sometimes, right? Um you can get kind of bailed out sometimes where the tackle. Usually if you're good, you're gonna be on the island.
1: So I wonder a little bit if this is a smoother transition. Or let me say this. I think this has a lot more to do with Will Richardson's skill set. They drafted him at the tackle spot and then moved him inside to the car. Mm-hmm. And my guess is this. You tell me if I'm crazy, and maybe you can also say from a critical standpoint, well, what the heck did they spend a fourth-round pick on this kid for? Fair enough. But I think now they already spent a fourth-round pick on Will Richardson. They know what he can do. They've seen what he can do, and they're more comfortable with what he can do. So they trust him, mm-hmm. and he then can be your swing tackle. I think you're putting a lot on Ben Barch's plate. It's a little bit of a project pick to begin with, with a major upside. I think most people would characterize it as that. They think the, up, they love this pick across the country, the analysts. They love the pick, but they do admit, I think, that it's a bit of a project. So my, my thought is, All right, what are we going to do in 2020? Do we trust that young man? Do we know what he can do? Well, we really don't. We're not going to have a camp, OTAs, all that kind of stuff. We'll maybe have a training camp, hopefully. Mm. But we don't know what he can do. We know what Will Richardson Richardson can do on that swing tackle, and so we trust him there. So let's move him there so we have depth at tackle because we don't have the swing tackle covered up instead of giving it to a rookie who we really haven't seen and don't really trust just yet. Therefore, you move him inside and kind of follow a similar path to Richardson, really, uh, in his career. Richardson moved inside, competed a bit, played a bit, got some experience, and now they say, okay, you're ready to go back outside. Barch may do the same over the next couple of years. I think it's a trust thing, Austin. I, I think it's more, we we know what Will Richardson can do, and if we need him in a pinch, we're comfortable putting him there. If we need Ben Barch in a pinch in week two because Cam Robinson went down, do we trust that? Ooh, I'm not sure.
0: Well, and to be fair... Richardson has played tackle before for the Jaguars. And when he, he has, came in, yeah. he, he to me, he didn't yeah. do that bad. Like well, I mean, I remember distinctly one game where he came in. I was like, you know what? Not bad. He was oh, okay. drafted as a right tackle. Yeah, but I think he came in at left tackle for yeah. Urban Camp. Yeah, and so. you know what? I remember thinking, not bad. But I'm just saying, Ben Barch comes in, has only played two years at the position at St. John's, goes to the Senior Bowl and does his thing. So to me, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty right now with Ben Barch. I get that. But you drafted him in the fourth round for a reason, okay? And if it says a lot about who he is as a a tackle, he dominated in two years. In two years of playing the position at a small D3 school, he got drafted in the fourth round. Okay, so that's intriguing. So why not see what he has first? Why not bring him into camp, try him out a left tackle, see where his footwork's at, see where his hands are at, and if it's bad, all right then, go ahead and move him to to guard. I can get that. But what it's hard for me to co-sign on is to bring in a guy right away and say, we're not going to give you a chance. Like, yeah. you, you play left tackle your entire life, but we're not, I mean, you know, for your college career for two years, but I'm not going to give you a chance. You're, you're going to guard. And if you're Doug Marone, you're an offensive line coach, man. Okay? You, you've you been ingrained. You've you've been ingrained in the offensive line culture. So teach them. Be, be a coach and teach them. If you're worried about Ben barch, put the people in front of him to teach him And... Obviously, he's got he's got the mindset. Obviously, he has the frame. He has the size. So teach him and make him
1: as a swing tackle then. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, and listen, I, I, I appreciate that end of it. I, I just think it's a trust thing right now for this football team. Um, you know, a coach with his job on the line too. I'm going to trust the guy that I, I've seen for a couple of years. I would wonder this, and we can ask Doug this a little bit more. Uh, I listened to that call the other day, and I don't think this was brought back. Maybe this would be a good question for him next time we get a chance. Would they have made a similar move if they did have this period right now out on the field? You know, where they could see him. Was this a move kind of like, hey, by the time we get to the actually on the field mm. by late July, we're going to have four weeks until the season begins. And we don't want to mess around with all that stuff and then we're going to put this on the kids plate and have them here and then over here and if it doesn't work out we move them here you know what i mean so they might just try and be trying to simplify a little bit uh that's all i can come up with and again i really think it comes down to the word trust and trust right now is in will richardson at a swing position where the jaguars are pretty empty Mm -hmm. right now they really don't have that if richardson wouldn't that be that guy and they could have it with Barch, but now you're asking to be able to play two different spots, be a swing guy. And and I think it's been readily admitted that this guy's a bit of a project at right now. Great upside. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean bad, but great upside, but maybe a little bit less reliable early in his career while he's still a little green at the spot, I would say. I guess I'm just questioning then
0: if that is the case. And Will Richardson, who's going to move to that tackle spot, you know, for a swing tackle spot, maybe get a starting spot. We'll see what happens with Cam Robinson. But if that was the plan all along don't you think maybe they should have dressed it a little more in free agency then? You know what I'm saying? Like, if the plan all along, because you knew COVID-19 was going on when the draft started, if the plan was to move Richardson the entire time, to bring in a tackle, move him to guard, shouldn't you have given yourself maybe a couple more pieces? You know, maybe in free agency, maybe also in the draft as well? I mean, I'm not saying Richardson's going to be a bad tackle, because like I said, I mean, I think when he played, um, he was pretty good, actually. But once again, you're asking a guy who played guard last year a majority of the time to move the tackle. Okay. It's two different positions. And one would say that left tackle is going to be harder to play than we played at the right guard. So it's just, to me, you're asking a lot of a lot of guys right now with not a lot of time, um, in terms of the landscape of the NFL.
1: Yeah, and uh, they might be trying to even simplify that, even though they're still asking a lot. You could ask even more if two weeks into camp, it kind of goes like the old uh, Miles Jack did when Puzz was still around, trying to get to the middle that year, and it didn't go well, and you're like, oh, crap, we're going to scratch this. Puzz, go back to the middle. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, just yeah. If it doesn't work, you only have a couple weeks to really fix it. Maybe they're trying to get ahead of that. that uh, we'll have to ask Doug Marone a little bit more about it, especially with this situation, if they would have planned to go that way uh, if they did have the OTAs and the rookie minicamps and everything else actually out on the football field. Uh, One other thing here, and I don't know if he gets enough credit, I really don't, is A.J. Can. I mean, I think you got to give a nod to A.J. Can. Listen, everybody hates the Jags offensive line. I get it. They hate him. Let me clue everybody in here. Twenty-nine of the teams in the NFL hate their offensive line. The fan bases, they do. <laughs> Everybody hates the offensive line. It just happens. There's, the Dallas Cowboys have liked theirs. Tennessee likes theirs. San Francisco likes theirs. Pittsburgh usually they're pretty dependable. you sh- I bet the people in Pittsburgh are a little concerned about their offensive line. Right. That's my point. I, mm-hmm. I think the fan. Now, listen, I'm not saying pe- like team team people and head- their headquarters coaches. I just think the fan bases usually hate the offensive line. Uh, for the most part, and the Jags have admittedly said they like it way better than the fans like it. But I just don't know if AJ can's getting enough credit. They platooned with him last year, and he basically won the job at the end of the day. Here he is again, basically, you're the guy in 2020. Yeah. You know, they, nobody thought AJ can would be resigned. I remember doing an interview with AJ can be like, hey man, it looks like you're probably going to be out of here, right? <laughs> and they re-signed him. Mm-hmm. So AJ Cann has taken a brunt of the blame at times. I think as as just being almost like a the the, the Jags are handicapped at that right guard position by AJ can I think he he was pretty steady last year. He was reliable. He played most snaps, if not all snaps, uh, when he was in when he was put in there. I know they platooned. And, and he essentially now has won that job back a couple of different times in his career and earned another contract, earned a little bit more money. Now, you can say, hey, well, that was a stupid move by him. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can, but I think you got to give a little bit of credit to A.J. Can. He battled tooth and nail with Will Richardson last year, and now they've basically said, we're comfortable with AJ. A.J. Will, go challenge these guys on the outside. In terms of offensive line, I don't hate it. Okay, I, I
0: think a lot of Jaguars fans are turned off the offensive line. I'm not mad at the offensive line. And I think if Jaguars fans really looked at these guys on paper and, you know, what they bring to the table, they wouldn't be mad either. But what fans, I think, are disappointed in, what I was disappointed in last year is, number one, is the penalties. And number two was just the, the gap discipline. Okay, because we broke it down so many times on the wall that says it all, where we saw guys with their backs turned. On fourth and one, tackles are looking in the backfield, guards looking in the backfield. Not to say that the offensive line's not talented, right? Because at one point, Andrew Norwell was the best run guard, you know, run blocking guard in the entire NFL. All now, pro? All pro, okay? Um, Dron Taylor could be one of the best right tackles in the NFL going forward. Now he okay? have
1: 15 penalties. He to, to and, your well, point. and
0: this is what I'm trying to say here is like, the offensive line is always going to be as great as the sum of their parts. The sum of their parts are fine. The problem is, though, is that they don't play as a cohesive unit. Nope. Okay? And that comes down to coaching. That comes down to coaching and preparation. So do I hate the personnel? Do I hate the guys that I see in the paper on the depth chart when I go online or look at the at a roster? Absolutely not. But what makes me nervous is the X's and O's. What makes me nervous is all the penalties. What makes me nervous
1: is the discipline. And right now... I'm not sure if they have that taken care of yet or not. Well, what else makes a good offensive line is continuity and chemistry. And that's what one thing the Jags have going for them. They have guys that have played now full season together coming back. And others that have played even longer together. But you add Juwan Taylor in, a healthy Cam Robinson, mm-hmm. you know, Linder stayed healthy. You got some continuity there. That's mm-hmm. really where your fingers should be crossed that that continuity will pay off in 2020. Up front. All right, we didn't get to Minshew. I want to get to him when we come back. You like him running all around? Should he stay in the pocket? How are teams going to combat that a little bit uh, this year? Uh, talk a little bit about it. A uh, brief segment on uh, Gardner Minshew when we come back on ESPN 690.
0: Yeah, 91, 92. I was, I was young, hungry in 98 when winning six out of eight and yet being just as dominant as you were in 91. That's where the you know, the craftsmanship came in. And I think 98 was much. Better than any other years because of how I was able to use my mind as well as my body. It's maddening, and you know, because I felt like we could have won seven, uh, I really believe that we may not have. But man, just not to be able to try—that's that's, that's something that you know I just can't accept for whatever reason. I just can't accept it.
1: As Michael Jordan from The Last Dance, <sighs> forget it. It was over. You weren't winning the seventh one. Wow! How how dare you? You know, how
0: dare you, Brett Martell? Uh, what do you mean it was over?
1: Thankfully Larry Bird dropped the line of the night in the oh, docu- documentary, documentary last night.
0: What? what, 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 what do you say? <laughs> yeah, I can't you, Jordan did. What did your boy Larry say? I can't go say, and it. say it, Brent, what'd your hero <laughs> say? I
1: thought Jordan did when he told Larry to go work on his golf game. <laughs> yep. Better believe it. Yeah, you know, that was one of the interesting parts. We'll get to the last dance here in a bit, but uh it, it's kind of a cool part of Jordan. Of how respectful he was for the opposition. Even in those moments. And I know like Carl Malone's getting a lot of love today for what he did to go on a bus yeah. and do that, which is very cool. And and a lot of coaches do that now. Like Sheshevsky does that a lot, I think, at Duke. Mm-hmm. Because he knows for teams like when they win, it's a big deal. You know, maybe not a big deal for Kentucky to beat Duke, but for a lot of teams that beat Duke, it's a big deal. So sometimes he'll leave I've heard he he has done that. Uh but I thought Carl Malone doing that was pretty cool. But Jordan was he always said congratulations or nice job or good game. Now it's easy to do when you're on the winning side and Jordan was on the winning side quite mm-hmm. a bit, but I, I found that part interesting. The whole Larry Bird, like moments after game seven tense. we'd all be still kind of mad that bird and him exchanged pleasantries and Stockton and Malone, you know, coming out of the news conference during the seven game series, they, you know, at least said what's up. Yeah, yeah. It's just really interesting to see kind of that respect and and friendship that they all have, and a lot of that stemmed, I think, from the 1992 Dream Team. Mm-hmm. But even in that moment, I just, I don't know. I I don't know if I would would do that. Would it, I'd be so mad if I lost? that I'm not sure I would bring myself to do. Again, it's yeah, I mean, coming from the perspective of winning. Sure. You're seeing it done. But even Bird to come over, I found that interesting. I, I didn't think Larry would do that. Well, well that's because Larry's got a loser mentality. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Because, I mean, I'll be honest with you, man, and I've, I've shown this story many times. After I lost a football game, I didn't care if I went against the guy that I went to school with. I didn't care if I went against a cousin. Didn't matter, man. Like, if I lost a football game... I'm going off the field. There's no jersey exchanges. There's no, Hey man, how's the family doing? No, cause I, I was just, I was ticked off. Um, I was ticked off that I lost a football game. So I was never like that. Um, I think though, honestly, even in, in loss, I think Michael Jordan, uh, still went up to them and been like, Hey, great game. You know what I mean? I think we saw a little bit he did. when the, when the Pistons yep. beat them and the Pistons walked out, you know, so all that thing. So yeah, once again, Larry Bird loser mentality, it is what it is, but I think Michael Jordan showed that. You know, you you can be humble and classy in
1: winning and defeat. I've said this uh, many times before. Uh, I don't – well, we know like the hockey handshake is one – it's like a legendary oh, yep. thing, right? People after, love it. The, after the playoffs. And yeah. I do too. I'm a sucker for it. Mm-hmm. The I don't think the television networks – and I understand they have to get to a break. And the reason why they have to get to a break is because that break right after the game where people have just finished watching and they're right there is worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so the sooner you get to that break – the more eyeballs you have on for the advertiser so that's why they get out and go to commercial so quick but i wish they wouldn't i i love when they're showing the handshakes after the game the coaches or if it's a coach saying to a player or especially in some circumstances i i'm a sucker for that stuff and i don't think the tv network showed enough mm-hmm. like i really don't it's usually a quick boom boom after a football game or or whatever i like that stuff yeah. so that part of this documentary, seeing that behind the scenes, even the little knuckles to to Malone or Stockton or the bird thing, um, and there were other examples of it, I like that. I, yeah. I thought that was – it's a weird little subtlety in sports, mm-hmm. and especially in professional sports at the highest levels, that I kind of enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I don't see – I don't mind seeing more of it. I kind of wish you could see a little more of it. Well, and that's the thing, right?
0: No matter how much the game of football can change, no matter how much the game of basketball, the game of hockey, you know, has evolved over the past decades and decades. The one thing that still remains the same is obviously the sportsmanship and respect, you know. Now, yeah, every once in a while there's that game where it's like, you know, F you and F you. But um, for the most part, though, you know, that's that's what makes sports so cool, I think, is the fact that the game's always changing. It's always evolving, but some things will still stay the same.
1: Yeah, it's cool, and and people that are very good at looking. I think Tiger Woods has been very good at even mm. in defeat. Again, you're talking about guys that have won a lot, but you're almost like, how are they going to react when they lose? And Tiger, yeah. in those moments, has been very respectful. Like, I, I again, I'm not, I'm not saying they'd get in a fight. I mm. just thought you could almost tell with like the angst or or the disappointment a little bit more. And you don't with so many of those guys, you respect them. Uh, for the ability to do it so uh, i'm gonna go ahead and say this i think last night's episode the final one was probably my favorite episode of
0: the entire last dance now once again it's hard to say favorite episode because to me they were all good and i had no complaints over any of them we kind of talked about a little bit the whole timeline jumping thing yeah it yeah. kind of threw me off for a little bit of a loop but overall man um i thought it was well done and i think last night for me was my favorite episode because you knew it was going to happen, right? Like we, we had the cliff notes of the movie. Like we knew it was yeah. eventually going to come to an end and everything. But like what we didn't know is how it actually ended and like what Bill Jackson did, you know, with, the uh, with a little, I guess it was like a waste bin where he had everybody kind of. Write their quotes in and then throw them in the fire, you know, yeah. one last time as a team. I mean, I guess just being in a lot of locker rooms, man, that really hit me hard. Um, you know, and Michael Jordan saying, thanks for the past, enjoy the moment, uh, and let's make sure we end this right. I wish that would have been part of my wedding vows, to tell you the truth, because that was so <laughs> great. Um, if I can go back in time and do it again, I would definitely say that and nothing else. But, um, it just, they just wrapped it up so nicely, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, they did. Yeah. We're
1: going to talk a little bit more about that part of it uh, coming up in in a bit. I have a lot of questions on The Last Dance that kind of sparked questions. Uh We're going to get to it. A quick thought I want to wrap up before we get to the top. Minshew. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug Marone talked about him leaving the pocket and all this stuff. There's some conversation. We did it last night on TV. I think we've talked about this before. d do you mind all the off schedule plays? I mean, I understand you got to win from the pocket, right? Eventually, well, you, yeah. you've got to make plays from the pocket. Let's just say that. Correct. But see, I don't mind the off schedule plays as much because I feel like that's when you're playing above the X's and O's. Yeah. Listen. What,
0: do, do, do I mind if a quarterback just stays in the pocket and just you know kind of has that robotic type nature? You bet I mind, okay? That's the last thing I want with my quarterback. Because if you look at the top quarterbacks right now, with all due respect to the Ben Roethlisbergers, to the Joe Flackos, even to the Tom Brady's, you guys are dinosaurs, okay? And the, the game's evolving. And that style of play doesn't cut it anymore. OK, and I, I'm just I'm this is my opinion. Once again, I'm sure people are going to disagree with me because, it well, it's Tom Brady. He's the GOAT. Yeah, I understand that. But I'm just saying the way the game's going now with Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Gardner Minshew, guys that can extend the place, guys that when a defensive quarter has to game plan for him, all of a sudden it's like, all right, let's pin our ears back and go after the quarterback. No, 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 no. Let's calm ourselves a little bit. Let's see where he likes to step up. Let's see where he likes to scramble. Like, there's nothing more frustrating or nothing more, I guess, strenuous than planning for a quarterback who can take off and run any second, okay? Like, when we used to game plan for Mike Vick, we had an entire day dedicated to Mike Vick running, not even passing, just running the football when we used to play against the Eagles. Like, it just it takes that much more of an effort to try to game plan for a quarterback that's mobile, that can extend drives. Now, is Gardner Minshew a dual-threat guy? Not necessarily, but if he can extend the play,
1: if he can elongate the play, that's such a benefit to have on your team. Yeah, what I said on, t- on the show last night on Action Sports Prime Primetime at 10.30 on Fox 30, on CBS 47 every Saturday and Sunday. I am more concerned about the vacancy in the middle of the field with action with Minshew than I am about him escape in the pocket. Now, again, there is a timing to that. You don't want to escape too soon. Let plays develop. Don't get out of there in a hurry. We've seen players do that in a Jags uniform, kind of like that whole Sam Darnold C. Ghost stuff. But I don't think Minshew does that. Sure, can you escape it too early at times? Maybe. Yeah. But I... I think if he can have the middle of the field, that's my number one concern about 2020, more so than a guy getting out of the pocket too early creating plays. There's some magic in Minshew when he leaves the pocket. That brings on some personality mm-hmm. to your offense. Mm-hmm. That brings on the alpha dog nature. They don't say that because he stayed in the pocket. They say it because of the amazing plays he made outside the pocket. Exactly. And I don't mind that. And, again, I'll tell you, two or three plays last year are two of the three best plays I've seen a quarterback make since I've been in Jacksonville by Gardner Minshew. So I'll sign up for a few more of those uh, in 2020. When we come back, live sports came back. Plus, we'll get some more on The Last Dance. It's on the way on ESPN 690. See.